The Education Apple, Episode 5, recorded on October 25th, 2012. Welcome to The Education Apple. This is the show that discusses Apple technology in the classroom as well as how Apple uh, technology impacts our daily lives. This is Bill Brazil, your host, uh, welcoming you in tonight. And along with myself, um, I have Barrett Mossbacker, superintendent of Briarwood Christian School. How are you doing tonight, Barrett? Bill, I'm doing great. Good to have you with us. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about tonight as um, it's been a pretty busy week in the Apple world. Um, just reviewing the past few days, you know, Apple had uh, their big event where they uh, introduced a lot of new products. They uh, introduced uh, the uh, iPad Mini or Mini iPad. I, don't, I guess they call it the Mini iPad. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, that was their big introduction of the week. But they had a whole bunch of other uh, things that they announced and products that they were talking about. So we're going to do a little review of that, but uh, before we get into the details of that, I thought it was interesting this time that um, they uh, actually streamed the event live, and I think there were several different ways that you could view the event, but um, a friend of mine told me that it was on Apple TV, and of course, uh, you could tune into it live through um, one of the icons there on the Apple TV, and then they've also got it uh, archive there so you can uh, go back and look at it anytime you want to so if you hadn't had a chance to see it yet and you do have an apple tv it's right there on the uh, main menu of your apple tv and they've got a bunch of uh, their past uh, event announcements uh, archived there as well so you can go back and review any of them if you wanted to but uh, barrett did you get a chance to uh, take in any of the event I did. Uh, I watched several portions of it. I did not have an opportunity to watch the entire event uh, front to back, but uh, I skimmed through it uh, from a recording that I had. And I also saw uh, some uh, websites that had created a short synopsis of the event as well. Right. And I was quite impressed. In fact, uh, I was surprised at the total number of products that they actually announced. I think uh, many of them were somewhat of a surprise to many people. Yeah, they did a, a number of things on the hardware front, and um, yeah, I think there was more packed into that than people were expecting. But uh, I, I was actually out during the uh, live broadcast, and so I had my iPad. And I've done this in the past, where um, several of the uh, websites uh, will that have representatives there at the event will do a live blog and do some. Uh, capture some pictures as well and so you can kind of follow along in real time as they update their their blog and that's what i was doing while i was eating lunch um, Mm. the other day and um, it's pretty pretty uh effective but now that i know that they're streaming again uh, that's even a better way to catch it i think they did that early on and then they got away from it for whatever reasons but um, now they're incorporating that again, at least for the time being. So um, it's uh, kind of a good way to, to keep up with that and, and, and uh, keep up with the announcement as it's going, uh, unless you get invited. But I've never been invited to one of those. so uh, <laughs> I haven't either. I'm still waiting for my invitation. Yeah, not yet any anyway. But it, uh, they did it in that theater out in California. It looked like a pretty nice uh, venue for for doing that uh, presentation, but um, it's a very limited audience that they actually bring in, so um, I doubt I will ever make it to the the live presentation, but there's other ways now that we can take it in that uh, are are not too bad uh, as well. But they they started out with um, a number of statistics, which I thought was pretty interesting, being a, a math person and I always like to look at numbers but um, they said that uh, 200 million devices have updated to the iOS 6 application or iOS iOS 6 operating system and um, that's that's pretty significant I would say a lot of people are are uh, moving on and trying to to keep up with the new OS Um, 
you know, it, I guess I guess there's a couple things that help that out. One may, being that uh, they tend to make it easy now, and uh, it's not too difficult to to go ahead and upgrade to the the new operating system. And uh, it's it's also pretty important, I think. I think what a few people get caught with, though, and a friend of mine, I ran into this the other day, a friend of mine had updated his iPhone with a new operating system, but um, he's got a Mac that's still three or four versions behind, and he hasn't updated that. And so he was telling me the other day that now he can't, move music from his iTunes on his Mac to his, his iPhone because the, the iTunes versions are out of sync and he can't upgrade his uh, oh, iTunes. No. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. if if you get caught in that situation, it's uh, it's not a lot of fun. So it is important to keep, keep everything up to date, not just the iPhone or, you know, your iPad, but your, your Macs as well if you want them all to talk to each other. So... Well, and, and I've got to say, Bill, I think as you were talking about how many uh, had updated so quickly and as they presented at the event, uh, I concur with you that I think the, one of the main reasons is – well, two main reasons. One is very simple to do, uh, and that helps, but also just the price for the upgrade is nominal right. uh, for all the new features, and so there's no really price obstacle to speak of. Exactly. Yeah, that certainly helps out a lot. It's almost like buying a – buying an app now it's not much more mm-hmm. expensive than doing that so that uh, is certainly uh, a small hurdle to get over just to get the new operating system uh, so you're right with that another thing this this really caught my attention probably more than anything else just the the magnitude of the iMessages that are being sent and <laughs> they they threw out the number of 300 billion iMessages <laughs> that have been sent in the last year and uh, breaking that down, it's 28,000 per second, and that's just mind-boggling, really, um, thinking that so much of that is going on, and uh, I guess it says a lot about our society today and what, what we get caught up in doing, but um, I'd say that uh, their messaging application is a pretty big success. Yeah, Bill, in fact, uh, you, you might not be able to answer this question. It could be proprietary with AT&T, but uh, do you have any notion of how those numbers might com- compare to some of the major carriers like AT&T or Verizon in terms of the text messages and how that may have – it's got to be cutting into their text message business, which frankly has been pretty profitable for them. Yeah, it, it definitely does, and I don't know what the numbers are, but um, I think – in AT&T's case, and probably all the carriers' case, they've had to kind of rethink their um, you know, revenue structure around that, realizing that you know they're not doing near as many messages as they could have been doing or were doing because of uh, of this particular product. So I uh, don't know exactly how that's cutting into the revenue, but I'm sure it's taken a taken a pretty big bite when you look at those kind of numbers. 300 billion would uh, translate into some pretty good dollars, I would say, if the uh, carriers were were getting a little piece of that. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would think. <laughs> yeah, the other another number was 1.5 million iBooks, and um, they've had 400 million downloads of the iBooks to date, and that's really, I guess, just what's going through their uh, iBooks um, uh, bookshelf because you can. Uh, download an iBook without uh, being registered there in the iBooks application. Um, and that's only if you're not charging or people don't charge for the iBook itself. So uh, free iBooks can be generated and transferred um, without them even knowing. So that number would not include uh, any of those. Um, 100 million iPads sold, uh, which... They're doing pretty well with that, obviously, and they had some other numbers around that just in the tablet market. And, you know, the tablets uh, or the iPads accounting for for 90% of the web traffic among tablet computers. So they've uh, pretty well got that uh, that market wrapped up. Of course, they're, they're continuing to uh, develop, and, of course, they rolled out the mini iPad, which I think is... One big uh, piece of that is to just uh, not allow the, the smaller tablets to, 
to take a foothold. At least that's what they're trying to do is not let them kind of inch into the market with those smaller tablets. But I, from what I can tell, I don't really see why you would want to, an irregular iPad and a mini iPad unless you were going to use the mini just for reading or something like that. But, you know, they, I think it's just kind of geared for the different markets for the most part. you have any feelings on that? Yeah, I, yeah, I think there are a lot of people who, for example, buy Nooks or Kindles and don't really haven't focused so much on any other capabilities, and they just want to read on it. Uh, so I think that would be a new customer potentially for Apple. And I also read someplace yesterday that one of the one of the anticipations is that the iPad Mini will cannibalize the regular iPad to some extent, but that that was okay. And someone had quoted Steve Jobs that says, "Someone's going to cannibalize you. It might as well be yourself." Something yeah. to that effect. <laughs> so I guess you know they're going to have some uh, the market share lost. Uh, to the mini iPad, but just seem to be lost to themselves as opposed to a Nook or a Kindle Fire. Right. Yes, and and that's uh, that's certainly understandable for people that don't want to spend as much for an iPad. So now they've got a couple of different choices. But as long as they're going back to Apple in either case, I imagine uh, mm-hmm. Apple will be okay with that. But um, yeah, I think some of these smaller devices, from a price standpoint, and um, I guess that's probably the biggest factor, uh, but being a little bit smaller and a little bit easier to hold and read and that type of thing uh, probably will will catch on more and more over time. And I think Apple didn't really want to see that uh, taken away from their market share. So again, they've they've uh, provided an offering that's pretty close to uh, those other devices on a price standpoint some people believed that it was going to be cheaper and wanted it to be more in line with those other tablets the smaller tablets but personally i think that they um they really are still providing a much better uh experience a better piece of hardware than some of these others uh as long as making the assumption that it's going to be just as uh, uh, interactive and as friendly as the regular iPad, which I'm sure it will be. But I've I've played around with a Kindle Fire a little bit, and I was real disappointed, really, because um, the the touch interface just wasn't nearly as responsive, and websites didn't work half the time. And I was kind of surprised that it was uh, as poor of a interface as it was. I was expecting maybe not quite the iPad experience, but I was thinking it was going to work better uh, than it did. So, um, plus the things like the the camera and uh, the screen itself and some of the other components of this mini iPad, I think, are still going to be superior to the others. And um, I think it's, you know, perfectly reasonable to, to price it higher than the others as long as it's not that much higher. I think it'll well, it'll compete pretty well. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I think part of that's uh, Apple's intent is to be more of a premium provider and charge a slight premium for a better product. Again, going back to a quote that I at least I believe was attributed to Steve Jobs, uh, someone had mentioned, you know, well, your market share is not very large, and he said something to the que- to the to the effect that, well, GM, I mean, uh, Mercedes and BMW is not as large as Ford and GM. But there's nothing wrong with selling BMWs and Mercedes. So right. that was his response to that. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and they've got that reputation, so I think they can get away with it as long mm-hmm. as they keep keep proving it and uh, put out these superior products. So um, moving on, I uh, saw where the, uh, the iBook textbooks, this probably caught your attention, uh, are now available for about 80% of high school core curriculum. And you may have uh, actually looked at some of those, Barrett. I don't know. But um, there's still probably more than, than 20% to make up. But uh, it sounds like there's they're still uh, making a lot of headway uh, for those high school textbooks. And that will be great when there's enough available to be able to, to use that iPad and, and replace all those heavy textbooks. Oh, no no question. Just the last week, uh, I collected uh, for one of our course, uh, one of our grade levels, all of their textbooks. And it just so happens that given the publisher we're using, that all but one of them is available now on the iPad for student use. 
and the weight of those textbooks was around 75 to 80 pounds wow. and was more than I could carry all together unless I used two hands or a backpack. Yep. Uh, and all of those were available on the iPad plus all the other features you get on it. And so it, it, it literally is revolutionary, not to mention, frankly, a physical benefit to our students, some of whom end up with back problems later on. Uh, because they have these uh, tremendously heavy bags hanging from their shoulders. No, most definitely. So you would pretty much agree then with that uh, 80% number, you think? Uh, I think so. It might depend. It's going to depend a little bit on the school and the particular publishers they may use. But in addition to what's available with iBook, the other publishers have produced some pretty slick uh, apps as well for the iPad. An example would be Inkling, which is, looks like Inkling is pairing up with Follett. And those two would represent a pretty powerful combination. Inkling has been focusing in the recent past on the collegiate market, but appears to be shifting additional focus now to the K-12 market. So that will that has tremendous potential to round out whatever might be missing uh, in iBook. Yeah, yeah. With those kind of things going on, I would imagine um, we're going to see real quickly uh, that 80% number go into 100%, and. Um, you know, potentially the the old written uh, manual textbooks are going to uh, be a thing of the past. So um, that'll be nice, and the kids will certainly appreciate not having to carry around those you know, 50, 60, 70 pounds worth of books all the time. So that'll be a, a good little improvement for us all. Um, the uh, Another thing number they threw out was 125 million documents in the cloud and utilizing the uh, the iCloud for uh, manipulating documents and sending them back and forth, using them on different devices. Uh, so that's definitely got a pretty strong uh, foothold in uh, utilizing the cloud. And again, that's probably just a function of, of how easy it's uh, becoming uh, to utilize that and uh, take advantage of it. So I know I'm doing a lot more with uh, cloud technology and a combination of iCloud with uh, some of the other tools that are out there. And, and uh, I'm still working on figuring out exactly how I want to use each one of the uh, options that are available. And I think there's definitely room for a combination of iCloud as well as uh, you know, we've got Dropbox and Box.com and some of these others uh, that, that are available, including uh, Google Docs. So um, I don't know about you, Barrett. Do you, do you have, uh, have it all figured out yet exactly how you want to use it, or are you still trying to uh, put together your philosophy on all that? Well, I am personally, and the school as well, is shifting uh, almost exclusively to the cloud. In fact, it's interesting, yesterday... Uh, I uploaded and synced uh, multiple gigabytes of files and folders to Google directly from my laptop uh, because I want to rely almost exclusively on accessing this uh, to the cloud. And almost everything I'm producing now with iWorks and iLife, I'm trying to save up into iCloud itself. So we're definitely moving that direction. It is. It can get a little confusing in that there's not one place where everything would necessarily be the ideal location to store or create it. Uh, so what I'm working on right now probably create as many documents as I can that don't uh, don't require quite the production level quality uh, of some others uh, in Google primarily, and particularly if it requires instantaneous and simultaneous collaboration. But any and everything else producing uh, through the Apple products and storing those in iCloud itself. And uh, so I'm actually uh, in that whole process of developing a workflow that works. Uh, effectively for me, it still can be a little confusing. You know, which documents, what type of documents are you going to store where, and do you call where those stored so it doesn't become, you know, a source of confusion. Right. Yeah, and I think uh, the easiest choice for, uh, you know, cloud utilization is the iCloud. And, of course, it's not really a choice because anything you do uh, that you have iCloud enabled for is going to be, uh, you know, as far as pages or numbers or uh, Keynote and the, the Apple products themselves that have the iCloud uh, built into them, um, you know, that makes it pretty easy and an obvious choice for using iCloud. But um, I'm finding that I'm using uh, Google Docs 
a good bit for my collaboration type documents with with other people and uh, interacting with uh, others in remote locations. So that's kind of working out good. And then um, I'm using box.net or box.com for uh, files that I want to just kind of share in general with other people. And they've they've got a lot of good tools. Uh, box.com does in terms of integrating with other uh, products and with websites and that type of thing. And then um, I'm kind of using uh, Dropbox just for some other personal type uh, cloud storage. So still working on exactly what the workflows for those different products would be. And I guess the trick really is um, getting it down so that it's not too complicated and that it makes sense and that you can use it uh, with others when when it makes sense, but um, I think they've come a long way, and uh, it's it's uh, some good technology to to uh, you know take care of our documents and not have them sitting in one place and uh, worrying about uh, hard drives failing and losing all that data. So um, a lot of good options out there to to help us out, but the trick is getting those workflows down and. Uh, making uh, sense out of all of that. So still working on that. Well, we probably need to have a, a show dedicated just to that one of these days. I, I agree. I think that would be very helpful. I'm hopeful. I don't have any insight, which I did, but I'm hopeful that Apple will consider uh, enhancing iCloud to include at least sharing capabilities with others, if not outright collaboration. And I can't believe that they're not going to do that, given some of the recent acquisitions I've read about and the talent that they've hired. So I would anticipate that they're going to move in that direction, but I think they want to be careful and make sure they do it well, because Microsoft's already doing it, Google's doing it. I don't see how uh, – and Amazon's doing it to some degree. And then, of course, you got BoxNet as sort of an independent group out there. I don't see how Apple can stay out of the market if it wants to compete in cloud computing. Yeah, that will be uh, intriguing to watch how they, they uh, develop the iCloud because it's – pretty closed off right now. now they've opened a few little things and you do have some external access to it if you know what you're doing but it's of course kind of buried under under the covers but um i don't know if they're gonna how, how quickly they will open it up but uh, it might depend on the competition like you're saying and uh, how all this uh, evolves but um uh, iCloud right now is definitely a, a different animal from some of the other offerings that are out there, but it's it's got a good um, uh, integration, of course, into into the iOS and OS X uh, currently, and maybe they'll open that up. But we'll we'll find out as we we watch them progress with all this. So. Um, Moving on to a little bit more in depth on iBooks, they uh, they did release uh, new versions of the iBooks app itself as well as iBooks Author, and those are both available now, so we can get our hands on them and see what the changes are. I believe for iBooks, it was um, some of the main things that stood out to me were the continuous reading capability of it, so you didn't have to. Uh, page uh, from side to side, and then the uh, iCloud integration, which I imagine is primarily uh, to keep uh, your place when you leave off and go back to a book. You're back to the same place, whether you're on the same device or a different one. Um, and there may be some other ways that they're going to use uh, the iCloud integration as well, but I'm not, not real sure what that is yet. And then the sharing capability for Facebook and Twitter, which um, that is becoming a bigger and bigger thing every day. So being able to highlight some text in a book and send it off to Twitter or Facebook right away would probably be uh, handy and, and fun for a lot of people to to do. So that is built in now to iBooks, and um, I'm sure that will start getting a lot of uses usage. The iBooks author, um, I'd, I've downloaded it and take, taken a quick look at it, and it's not that big of an up, upgrade, really, or update. They've added a few new templates, and uh, the being able to directly 
enter and render mathematical equations will probably be um, helpful to to those that are doing that type of creating those types of iBooks uh, and then multi-touch widgets they've added a few I think just two uh, new widgets that I noticed there might be more uh, one is uh, a scrolling widget so you can have a window with a lot of uh, uh, rows of uh, information and you can scroll through that uh, within one page uh, so that could find some good uses as well as uh, I think they've added a widget that allows you to have a picture and then you can uh, move your mouse over the picture and a pop-up window will open up that you can have some additional text and information in that pop-up uh, window or kind of a balloon that will open up when you put your cursor over it. So those were the two things uh, from a widget standpoint that I noticed. Uh, but there's a lot of things that can be done with uh, widgets just in general um, through the HTML5 uh, widget. You can do a lot of additional things with that if you know what you're doing. So a lot of capabilities there. And um, I know that those are some welcome changes. And uh, um, I've been able to take advantage a little bit of that so far and hope to put some more books together uh, but it's a pretty neat fun fairly easy to use once you understand the basics and uh, I think more and more people start uh, to utilize that you know in fact uh, Barrett I, I, I mentioned this you may not uh, realize it but um, one of your associates uh, emailed me today asking uh, for some tips and information as uh, someone there is starting to think about uh, creating some some iBooks with some of their teaching materials. So I don't know if you knew that some of your folks were, were starting down that path or not, but it sounds like they might be. Well, I'm delighted because we plan on moving that direction anyway. So if they're being uh, taking the initiative there and forward leaning in the process, uh, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So um, the hardware that uh, they announced, they announced a lot of of new updates to uh, their hardware line. The Mac Mini got a new uh, upgrade and I've got a number of Mac Minis. That's, I love those little boxes. Those are uh, pretty handy and nice to have and you can have a bunch of them without taking up much space. So I'm kind of fond of the, the Mac Mini. I'm glad they're keeping it around for a little bit longer anyway. And um, I guess they're just really adding to the uh, processor speed and I didn't notice a whole lot more but just uh, making sure that it stays current with the processors and the memory that are available to it. The IMAX got an upgrade and I don't know if you saw that but the new IMAX uh, are very uh, very thin. They removed the uh, optical drive from them so that helps uh, slim them down on the sides and they've Looks like they've made the internals of them much more compact. So on the edge, anyway, it almost looks like it's just a screen. It's very thin. Now it does get a little bit fatter in the back uh, where all the the internals are located, but it still looks pretty small. So it's a, a nice design. Did you see that, Barrett? I did. In fact, I thought it was a beautiful computer when you really consider what what it does. Uh, and the size of the screen and the thin profile, um, they just did a remarkable job. I mean, it's an attractive piece to to work on. Um, and the other thing is, if your desk isn't huge, you you, you gain a lot of desk space. Uh, right. In fact, by being able to push the computer back a little bit, you gain some room to work. So I think it's well designed. Is actually adds some efficiency for somebody. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But uh, that was a pretty slick looking computer. They've uh, added to their MacBook Pro line with a 13-inch Retina display model, and I imagine that will be very popular. I love the 13-inch uh, mm -hmm. laptops. I think that's the, the best size as far as a, a laptop is concerned. And um, I don't have a MacBook, but I've got the, the Mac Air, and I love that little thing, but it's the 13-inch. I looked at the 11-inch, but that was really... A little bit too small, especially for, for older eyes. That screen starts getting really small when you get down to 11 inches. So I think that 13-inch is just about the perfect size in a in a 
a laptop. So I imagine that's going to be a pretty popular device. They uh, updated the iPad to uh, a fourth generation. I think that may may make some people mad, especially the ones that just bought a third generation not too long ago. But uh, I, <laughs> I guess the reason they did that was um, just to add in the... Uh, the uh, LTE capability and the they put a faster processor in it, which uh, I think it's twice as fast as what's in the. Uh, or now that might just be the Mac Pro. I don't remember what they did on the iPad uh, fourth generation. Do you remember? Is it? Um, I don't remember the specs, but wasn't the wasn't it the uh, A6 processor that they added to the iPad four? Yeah, I think it was. That's I was I was getting a little confused on that, but I believe they did put the A6 in that, uh, which would double and it was quad core. Yeah, yeah, that's going to double the speed of that iPad, and yeah. um, it, they might not need it today, but maybe they're thinking down the road for iOS 7 and some of the uh, enhanced capabilities that may be coming along that need that faster processing. But um, that is a pretty amazing device already so uh, with with those enhancements that's going to be really nice in fact i don't know if i'm going to do it but i might take advantage of these programs where you can turn in your your original or your current ipad and get some uh, funds for it and turn around and buy a new one without really having to lay out too much more so uh, i haven't done that yet but i've noticed where some of those programs are available some of the websites offer that now buying back older equipment and uh, I've got a second generation so um, it wouldn't be quite as as good as the third generation in terms of uh, the value on it but I might check into that to see what the difference might be in terms of uh, of uh, what I could get uh, to turn around and buy a new one so are y'all you're still what are y'all going to do for your iPads do you know yet or uh, you're well, gonna move up to the my, new I guess that there's no reason to uh, not get the fours when we're able, when we're prepared to make a large purchase, because my understanding is that they didn't increase the price. Right. Uh, and so if if you're getting uh, the iPad four and there's no uh, increase in price, and I believe that's the case, uh, I don't see why I'd buy something you know the three. Right. Yeah, I think so. And um, in fact, are they discontinu? I think they're discontinuing the three. You can still get the two, but I think this is really taking the place of the third generation. So um, you may not have a choice there. Really, I didn't think about that. But yeah. um, you, your choice would be a second generation or the fourth generation. Um, well, I think it, I think part of their rationale too was. Uh, that they might as well get those lightning. I think they're what the lightning connectors uh, built uh, the iPads out with lightning connectors. Again, it's just less a confusion for everyone. Everything begins to work together uh, better. Right. Yeah. Of course, I'm already in that position of having one device with the lightning connector and all my other ones with the older connector. And um, I need to go out and get some adapters because it's. <laughs> I've got a bunch of old cables, <laughs> but I can't really use them with my iPhone yet since I don't have any adapters or, or new plugs. So, um, yeah, it's always a little bit inconvenient when you have multiple connecting uh, connectors for these devices. So uh, that will help when they all get migrated over to the new uh, the new connection. Um, and then, of course, the, the iPad mini. We've already talked about that a little bit, or the mini iPad. i got to learn to say that the right way but uh, <laughs> um now the the mac the mac mini is is they put the mini after mac but i believe with the ipad it's mini ipad so that's a little bit confusing but uh i guess that's the way they wanted to to do it um but again that's going to be um intriguing to watch how People adopt that uh, that device, and I imagine it's going to have a pretty popular. It's going to be a popular device for the holidays, so um, that should boost Apple's bottom line a good bit uh, during the holiday season. Uh, did you you have any other thoughts on the the mini iPad, Barrett? Or we kind of covered that, you think? Well, I I suspect there may one of the advantages for Apple 
uh, and for schools who have uh, more limited budgets, is the uh, uh, the mini iPad may be a better solution or choice or the only one that they can afford for some schools. And so they may be thinking uh, that with the updates in iBook Author, the updates in iBooks, now they've got a, a mini iPad uh, with a lower price point, which is still perfect for reading textbooks and things like that. They might find that that's an easier entree into some of the educational market. Yeah, yeah, it could be. And I, I had thought a little bit about that. I was just wondering if that smaller screen would really work well with textbooks. And I guess with the younger kids, uh, those small screens don't um, don't bother them too much. But I'm I'm just kind of curious. I'd like to see them side by side and see some comparisons with the textbooks and how much smaller it really is. And uh, it may not be that much of a difference, but um, I guess it's hard to tell until we see them side by side. Mm-hmm. So, all righty. Um, another event hadn't taken place yet, but it's starting to get a little buzz, is the uh, uh, Microsoft uh, Windows 8 release. And I believe the Surface is going to be released at the same time, their tablet, their new tablet device and that's supposed to take place tomorrow on Friday, uh, October 26th. So um, that will be interesting to watch and see how it's accepted and what kind of a splash that's going to make. I, I really don't have uh, much insight into that right now. I have not seen uh, the devices or the operating system in person Um I know from what I understand, it's going to be a lot more touchscreen oriented. So uh, one question I've kind of got is how is Windows 8 going to work on just a regular uh, computer that's not doesn't have a touchscreen with it? Uh, I don't know if it will be have its own flavor and of Windows 8 that doesn't have a touch interface, or if it's going to be a little bit different. Um, not really sure. Have you? Heard much about that, Barrett, or seen anything on that? Well, I yet? can't. Uh, I can't speak from firsthand experience or knowledge, of course, but I have read that you can toggle those options on and off the desktop or the laptop. Okay. And so, if you have a touchscreen capable machine, you would probably leave that on if you wanted to do so. But that you can toggle it to operate very much like normal with uh, with a mouse and keyboard. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna. Hopefully get a copy and uh, at least test it out some. I'll be curious to see how it works. And one of the things I noticed uh, this week in the paper in uh, the Wall Street Journal, they had an article on uh, all of this, and they were kind of focusing on the engineering whiz that's behind uh, the software uh, development and um, has been there a good while. His name's Stephen Sinofsky, and uh, some people feel like he is kind of a, a Steve, Jobs, Steve Jobs type of guy from his style and approach to uh, how he deals with development. And um, he, he's got the right name anyway, Stephen, uh, but I don't know if, if the rest of it's going to fall in line. But I think he's been there a good while, and uh, he has a pretty good bit of respect and has uh, done a lot with uh, some of the uh, maybe salvaging Windows uh, uh, Vista was it the Vista that was a big problem? Oh and, yes. Um, yeah. He he kind of jumped in and uh, was instrumental in kind of riding the ship from from that uh, bit of a catastrophe. And then uh, he's been involved a good bit, I believe, with uh, Microsoft Office and some of the other products. So he is the the main guy there apparently when it comes to. Um, uh, its development and trying to keep up with with Apple. Uh, in fact, I think he he feels like the uh, the Apple type control over both the software and the hardware working together is is pretty critical and important. And I've thought that for a long time. I thought that um, Apple had a, a leg up on uh, Microsoft and a lot of the other competitors because they had control both of the hardware and the software and just how that uh, allowed them to have so much better integration and control over the uh, different uh, devices and interfaces and 
how uh, you interacted with the, the devices. So I think this guy has the same mindset, and I don't know what they can do uh, moving forward. They might take more control over the hardware, um, but uh, it should make for some interesting uh, occurrences anyway in in all this and the competition and uh, <clears throat> I'm curious to see how the surface does well I'm actually hoping that they're relatively successful in the market uh, I think that makes everybody better if they are I've heard good reviews on the surface uh, particularly I think they've got two models they've got what they call what is the RTF or something to that effect uh, and then they have the pro version and uh, but I've heard good reviews uh, on the pro version in particular so I would think that if you're a uh, Windows-centric environment with Microsoft Office, uh, you're on the road a lot and you're traveling, I can see an appeal of something like the Surface uh, for those sorts of folks. Right. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think the the keyboard is going to be um, an option on the Surface as well, uh, built into the, the cover and similar to some of the keyboards that are available for the iPad. Yes. All righty. Well, let's um, let's move on. I think we've covered uh, kind of the, the events of the day and what's been going on in, in the, the large picture on the big world of um, computing in general. But what uh, what about uh, our education approach and what's going on at Briarwood? And uh, give us a little bit of a a rundown on where things stand at Briarwood right now, Barrett, and what y'all have been working on. Well, we're finalizing our plans. The initial rollout will essentially be a pilot, uh, and so we're defining precisely the size of that uh, initial pilot. And we'll do a lot of review of what's working, what's not working, what might need to be tweaked, that sort of thing. The other other item that's particularly important is over the last three to four weeks, uh, we've been drilling down and finalizing our security protocols. As you can imagine, as most schools would be, we're very concerned that when you give uh, Internet-enabled device to students that you're able to filter that and control it so you don't put uh, students in a bad situation and, and accessing inappropriate materials. And so we're doing a couple of things. In addition to high-end enterprise-level filtering capabilities, we're also uh, restricting the browsers to probably whitelisting-only capabilities, which will even restrict more thoroughly what students are able to get to. That adds a degree of complexity for the school in the sense that you have to come up with your your multiple your master list of sites that the teachers want to use and inevitably uh, there are sites that you have to add or you add one you find a problem with it you remove it so it adds some level of complexity but on the other hand it adds a layer of protection for our students which uh, is primary uh, for us to make sure that we do that well and that parents can trust what we're doing. And when, the other thing Barrett, is when you we're talk about plans. Oh, go ahead, Bill. I was just going to ask you when you talk about um, whitelisting with the, the security software and all that, is that only affecting um, your the uh, internet browsing as far as accessing websites, or does that also uh, have an impact on? Um, uh, emailing and messaging and, you know, a lot of other ways that, that data uh, can be transferred in and out of, of these devices. Because that's, that's pretty important when you start thinking about, um, you know, uh, putting together presentations and having access to uh, materials and pictures and graphics and a lot of the things that you want to include in presentations as well as just uh, being able to look up, um, you know, research information, that type of thing. How does that really fit in with the, the whitelisting concept? Well, a couple of things. For the research purposes, that's where we'll have to have a pretty big list of acceptable uh, sources to go to for your research. And the same thing for photos and things like that. There, there are educational sites or sites that are pretty good about what they post and allow to be accessed in terms of photos. Our email system will also enable us to restrict emails from students within our own domain. And so every student will be assigned a school email address. That, of course, will work with all of our faculty email addresses as well. So they'll be able to email back and forth to collaborate on projects, but you don't necessarily, but that will help avoid the problem of spam coming in. 
a student's getting you know materials through email that we don't want them to get, or someone from the outside yeah. knowing the student's email address and purposely sending him or her inappropriate materials. Right. So our ability to help uh, restrict that, I think, is is helpful, but without but it doesn't prevent them from doing the work that they want to do. For example, if they're working on collaborative projects on a Google. For example, with their Gmail address, they're able to do that with our domain. Um, we are going to lock down messaging, however, uh, because we don't want to, to open that up to the broad outside community necessarily for students. But we're compensating with that by installing, in all likelihood, using Edmodo, which is an educationally focused social media platform. And that platform includes its own, pretty much like Facebook, really, its own uh, walls, of course, but also has its own messaging system built right in. And so students can participate live with chat and video uh, and messaging all that directly within a walled educational social network. I see. Okay. Well, that's, that sounds good. I, I just think that's, um, you know, obviously being able to research and communicate and collaborate through all this technology is going to be really important to to make it. Uh, as useful and as rich of an experience, and I would just hate to see that limited too much to where the kids really wouldn't be able to to have as good of an experience with it as as they might otherwise. Oh, exactly. What we want to do is limit them to the good stuff and make sure we have plenty of that available. Um, so that that that's been the focus. And frankly, as we roll it out, we test it. We'll figure out more precisely what's working well, what needs further adjustments, refinements, where we need to loosen up someplace, where we need, may need to tighten up someplace else. And that's a whole – that's the benefit of a pilot and rolling it out. Right. Yeah, and this type of thing is just going to be maturing and evolving over time. So as long as y'all are going to be um, monitoring it and, and evaluating it as it moves forward, then that will be good and that will be helpful uh, just to continue to build on the program. And unfortunately, something like this uh, doesn't really stand still, so you can't do it once and and uh, stand back and and uh, admire it. you got you got to stay involved and, okay. and keep going with it. And uh, so that will probably be a, somebody's main role ongoing, I would expect. Oh, yes. It's just like... Just within six months, you know, your iPad 3 has becomes obsolete. Yep. Well, the same thing goes true in terms of various applications, so websites that might be available, uh, tools, uh, new tools that come online, other tools that perhaps disappear. And so you have to constantly be monitoring as to what's available now and what is the uh, uh, the best resource available that you can uh, provide for your students and your faculty. Right. I agree. I agree. Well, that sounds good. Sounds like y'all are making uh, some headway, and um, you know, there's a lot going on there behind the scenes that have to be nailed down before uh, y'all are going to roll it out full, full, uh, full bore. So um, I know you're you're busy with all that, and we appreciate all you're doing there. So um, we'll look forward to future reports on how all that's moving moving ahead. Well. In a way, Bill, I think that might be an advantage to, to our listeners in, in that rather than us talking about a fully deployed, mature program, they're able to kind of follow us along as we wrestle through it. And there will be the good, the bad, and the ugly in the whole process, and that may be instructive and helpful to our listeners. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's a, a huge uh, factor here. And as we learn, it, it certainly is good to be able to share some of those lessons with others, so hopefully they'll be uh, tuning in and picking up on that, so um, that's a big part of this. Just sharing, sharing the uh, the information as we as we learn. So, uh, speaking of that, I was going to share something that we had briefly mentioned uh, last time around, um, related to the uh, new feature in iOS 6, which is related to the VIP mailboxes that are are part of the mail application now, and I've really been uh, taking advantage of this, and um, not just for the uh, ability to kind of have my important emails sectioned off into its own mailbox, but the the big advantage that I see is being able to have a uh, special uh, tone associated with that, so when my normal emails come in, they make the, the standard uh, sound that you hear when when you receive emails, but if it goes into the VIP mailbox, there's a way to 
change that sound or modify the sound, customize it to something different, uh, which uh, I've found real helpful just being able to hear, uh, not even having to look at my emails as they come in and, and recognize whether it's something I want to address right away or not. So um, the way to do that, there's several ways to get to it. It's, it's basically a, in your settings uh, when you go to notifications um, and uh, within notifications, I'm looking at it here on my iPhone right now, if I can find my my notifications button. I know it's here somewhere. I was looking at it earlier today. Um, and then you go into notifications. You've got all your uh, applications that you can set up for notification. But if you go into mail, uh, it shows your mailboxes. And then at the bottom of that is the VIP mailbox. So uh, just go into the VIP mailbox in your notification center and um, you've got several different options you can choose but one of them is uh, the new mail sound so when you select that uh, you have a number you can choose from and I imagine you can make your own add your own uh, ringtones in there and um, customize it that way but I've chosen the uh, Sherwood Forest ringtone which um, it's kind of funny I, the way it works because if I have my iPad and my iPhone close by when I do my Sherwood Forest, <laughs> that that that's the Sherwood Forest sound. So it kind of sounds like um, you know the the iPad and the iPhone generally are a second or two apart in terms of when they receive a message. So I hear one of them. It sounds like they're on two different mountains talking to each other. You know they. They are announcing my new message coming in, but it's kind of funny to hear the, the iPhone sound off and then my iPad sound off. And uh, it's just one of those things like they're on different mountaintops talking to each other. Well, I, I set mine up as this theme. See if you recognize it. Oh, yeah. Do you recognize that theme? Oh, absolutely. I've I've had that in the past too. That along with the the 007 theme are are pretty popular yeah. on my phone. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the old Mission Impossible. Well, for my VIP, I figure if there's a boss or someone wanting me to do something, so I'll just start up with Mission Impossible right off. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sometimes that's what it turns out to be, isn't it? But uh, another way you can get to that real easily is. Uh, as far as the the notification center for the VIP mailbox is just when you're in your mail application and uh, you go to your mailboxes, one of them stand sitting in the uh, inbox there is VIP. So you can click on that. <clears throat> It'll show you all your your messages. Uh, well, actually, I got to click on the arrow, which gets me to my um, VIP list, and then at the bottom of that VIP list, all the people that you want to include in that VIP uh, mailbox. Then at the bottom of it, it also has the VIP alert. So you can get to that uh, alert section to update that uh, notification sound a couple of different ways. But um, so you might find that helpful. I've I've, I've really um, taken advantage of that, and that seems to uh, work for me pretty well. So. Um, Maybe you'll find find the same thing there. Um, one thing that we talked a little bit about last time uh, and wanted to get into it further. I don't think we're gonna we're gonna really attack it today, but the uh, new Siri commands and um, I don't know about you, Barrett, but I've started really utilizing Siri a lot more. And I think one of the things, one of the reasons that I have done that is there's a way in your settings and I don't know if this is turned on um, automatically or not uh, I don't remember if I had to set this or not but there's a way in uh, Siri to set it up so that just when you bring your iPhone up to your ear that it'll automatically turn on and and you can give it Siri commands just by you know, like you were talking on your phone. Do you do you do it that way? Do you use that feature? I do. Uh, I do. And I'm like you. Uh, I'm using Siri multiple times a day. 
Um, I have found series getting better and better and better, and as long as you have a decent cellular or Wi-Fi connection, it works fine. Uh, and I'm I'm constantly saying, read me back my my schedule, send a text message, send an email, and once you've learned some of the basic commands, such as if you if you uh, uh, dictate an email and Siri reads it back is not quite right, and you say edit, you can edit it, and then before sending it, you can do all that hands free and uh, not worry about it. And I found it to be incredibly useful and accurate. Right, and I've just found that by using the uh, the phone piece of it, just by putting it up to my ear, it's a little bit easier to talk uh, to Siri like she's on your phone as opposed to talking at your phone. And that might sound kind of silly or goofy, but I've just found that it's a lot easier for me to, to use it, and it almost seems like it recognizes my commands better that way, too, maybe by not talking directly into the microphone, you know, by, you know, talking at it, um, it, it might work a little yeah, bit that, better. That, that, yeah, exactly. And Bill, that toggle was under the general settings under Siri, and then under Siri, uh, the toggle is rise to speak. Yeah, 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 the raise to speak thing. That, do you do you remember if that was something you had to turn on, or is that uh, the default? I don't remember if that's... Uh, it's been a while now, so it's hard to say. Yeah, I, I kind of think you have to turn it on, but... Um, to me, I think that that is a uh, huge advantage to using Siri and uh, uh, certainly has helped me a whole lot in, in working with it. And I think it's just very, very useful. And as we learn more and more of these commands, um, uh, I think that's that's uh, going to be extremely helpful, especially when driving, I think. Um, the one thing, though, that I wish it would do, and I don't know why it, it, it doesn't, but I wish it could read your emails back. I, I haven't uh, had any success with that. I don't think it uh, allows you, it will allow be allowed to read emails yet. Have you tried that? I have, and it doesn't. But it will read your schedule. Yeah. And so I've said, uh, Siri, read my account, uh, my schedule, or what are my appointments for the day? And Siri will go right through and read each one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Certain certain things it will read, and certain things it won't. So. Um, I guess that's one of those evolving things as well, but uh, it's certainly made progress. So if we keep sticking with it, I think it'll uh, it'll address a lot more things as we we go. Um, all right, well we're going to talk more about Siri in the future because there is a lot more to be learned about that, but uh, not really a whole lot of time left today. So kind of want to move into our last segment where we're talking about. Um, some favorite apps and Twitter following. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Barrett. It looks like you've got a couple of uh, recommendations tonight. So curious to hear what you got for us. Well, one of them is related to our, our some of our discussion earlier on in the podcast, and that is a cloud computing, in this case specifically Google Drive. I use iCloud extensively, but in addition to iCloud, I use Google Drive. And they have an app that you can download to your Mac, and your iPad, and your iPhone, and it works uh, extremely well. Uh, they've come out with recent updates to it, and you can work offline. You can edit offline. Uh, you can read offline. Uh, you can share documents through the uh, Google Drive application, and everything is kept in sync. And so I have found it a great complement to iCloud itself, and it works well on all of my iOS devices and my Mac. Yeah, so I would strongly anyone who's using Google, I strongly encourage them to use the official Google Drive app. Right. Yeah, they've they've uh, recently really updated the iOS versions of um, the Google Drive app, and it's a lot more useful and um, being able to update things straight from your iPad and iPhone. And I think uh, yeah, that's very helpful. Yeah, and I think it's well designed as well. Yep. Um, as far as a Twitter pick, uh, my Twitter pick tonight would be tick, uh, Tech Mem, T E C H M E M E, Tech Mem. Uh, and Tech Mem is sort of a consolidates web technology news uh, essentially onto a single page. And Tech Mem has about 120,300 plus followers. And uh, I often stumble across great news stories regarding what is occurring in the tech world uh, by following TechMem. Okay, I hadn't, uh, I don't follow that one, so I might give that a try. It sounds like it might have some useful information out there. So those are are good, good thoughts on uh, on that uh, 
area. Mine, um, my app pick, I've actually got a couple of them, one that I use and one that I've heard about and uh, haven't begun using, but um, it, it really involves a uh, electronic uh, password manager. I use something called eWallet, and uh, I've used it for a long time, and uh, I guess I don't know if it's the best one out there, but it's... Uh, it has met the needs that I have, and it's uh, available on all the different platforms on Windows and uh, OS X and iOS 6, and it's beginning to be cloud integrated. I don't think it uh, uh, uses the cloud to update the uh, uh, desktop client yet, but they're probably moving in that direction. You, they do... Uh, update through the, the cloud, maybe the iCloud on iOS uh, devices. So um, that's that's helpful. But I think everybody uh, <laughs> needs to have a, a secure password manager. Uh, another one that's out there that gets a lot of uh, publicity is the the One Password, and I think it's very similar. Uh, I haven't used it, and the main reason I don't I haven't really converted over is um, these are a little more expensive, especially when you start updating uh, multiple devices and, and uh, installing the app. It can tend to, to add up a little bit, and um, so I haven't really converted over. But I think both of these, uh, eWallet and 1Password, provide the, the basically the same uh, capabilities. But I've I've run into numerous people that are just you know keep. Uh, their passwords and on sticky notes and papers here and there and it just amazes me and sometimes just in their heads and half the time they don't know you know you ask them for what's their password and they kind of look at you like you they don't know what you're talking about <laughs> which yeah it's, it's kind of scary sometimes well it really is and especially these days where there's so many systems if you inter interface with any of them uh, you've got to have a, a password and the problem is, you know, rarely do any of them allow you to have the same uh, characters or same passwords, and you have to keep up with multiple passwords on different systems. So I don't know how anybody these days can keep up with it without having something like this. And, you know, having it on your phone or on your desktop or iPad, any anything that uh, you're carrying with you at the time is just uh, extremely uh, useful and I think I use mine multiple times every day. It's probably not a day that goes by that I don't refer to my my e-wallet uh, at least once or twice, if not more. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I would recommend that to everybody because uh, it's not a whole lot of fun when you run into something you can't remember your password and it just eats up a ton of time trying to get it changed to something you can remember and just uh, uh, changing your password. So. Uh, that would be my recommendation there. Okay, so moving on to uh, my Twitter picks for the week. Um, this is going to kind of reveal my political leanings, I guess, a little bit. But it's uh, kind of fun to keep up with people that you see on TV. And, and I, I follow a show called The Five that's on Fox Network. And um, it's a show that has five different political analysts and they talk about the uh, events, the current events and what's going on in politics and, and all the rest. And there's a couple on the show that I follow on Twitter, uh, Dana Perino and Greg Gutfeld. They're just uh, two of the five or, or so that they have on the show regularly. And it's been kind of uh, interesting to watch debates, the debates that have been going on. And if you get on Twitter, you can follow some of these folks that are commenting on what's going on real time during the debates and during other uh, news events that are taking place real time. And that's just, I guess, kind of a, a new uh, new thing that's transpired now with all this technology is being able to uh, keep up with personalities and uh, as it relates to events that are going on uh, in real time. So I don't know if you've done any of that, Barrett, but it's it's kind of intriguing and interesting to get insights from other people at, at the same time that things are going on. Um, 
And uh, like I say, it's just uh, a new phenomenon, really, with with the way all this technology is is interacting and uh, interlacing uh, with with what we're dealing with today. So, uh, Dana Perino, that's uh, the at sign D A N A P E R I N O, and Greg Gutfeld at sign G R E G G U T F E L D. So um, a couple of personalities there, uh, a little bit outside the, the technology world, but uh, in reality, not really because of how this technology uh, just uh, inter- interfaces and interlaces with our, our daily lives. So um, that's what I was going to throw out there. And have you done any of that, Barrett? Just, uh, you know, kind of watching Twitter as things are going on and, and observing other people's insights and opinions and uh yes i have and uh, in some cases it as you follow them you it gets a better perspective on the journalist or whoever it might be that you don't necessarily get on television right uh and so i follow them sometimes on twitter i will also follow certain folks for example even on facebook as well as twitter uh, i follow for example uh nicholas christoph from the new york times uh, he has some interesting things and in writings both uh, on what he does on Facebook as well as Twitter. So yeah, I, I find that very helpful. Yeah, yeah. I just think the real time aspect of it is is really uh, interesting. So uh, maybe some of you listeners out there do do the same. But it definitely provides a uh, opportunity to get uh, different insights uh, in real time. And uh, more the more information we can get and filter through, uh, and and things that relate to this, I think it's. Uh, just beneficial and helpful as we uh, put together our thoughts on on different uh, uh, different areas. So anyway, uh, that's pretty much it for our show tonight. And uh, Barrett, I appreciate your uh, thoughts and comments. And hopefully, um, you guys out there listening have picked up some ideas and tips. And we appreciate you listening. And as always, if you find this helpful, uh, feel free to tell your friends and. We'd love to pick up some more listeners, and um, we will just end it on uh, that and look forward to our next podcast together with you, and uh, we will catch you later.